Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 9, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9. We continue our study through the Old Testament. And remember last week where Israel wants a king, where instead of the Lord, they want a king. And it's the Lord who told Samuel, let them have what they want. Let them have what they want. But then the Lord says to Samuel, be sure to warn the people, warn them what's going to happen as a result. And we see where last week in chapter 8, verse 19, that nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They straight up said, no, we will have a king over us. We're going to be like all the nations, you see? And that's what they desired. And the whole time they forgot what Moses says. Remember in our study in in, in Deuteronomy where, you know, the, the Lord says to Moses and Moses says to the people and Moses says to the old man Moses, remember Deuteronomy? Old man Moses says straight up, he says to the people, you guys are God's people. You are consecrated unto the Lord. You are set apart unto the Lord and he will be your king and you will be his people. And the, the, Moses says to the people, old man Moses, and he says, you're not like these other people. You're going to go into this land, but you're not to partake of their ways. You're not to partake of their gods. You're not to partake of their idols. And we see that in Deuteronomy, but then all of a sudden you see what happens when leadership leadership Moses, leadership under Moses praise be to the Lord leadership under Joshua and the elders praise be to the Lord but what happened is that Joshua and the elders they died and then what happens with the next generation the next generation that forgets the Lord and then what about when they grow up and they have kids another generation that forgets the Lord and then another generation when they grow up and they have kids and then another generation that doesn't know the Lord and that's what happens in the judges era but within the judges era don't forget there is still a remnant there is still a remnant and so what we see is we see something so powerful and so beautiful is you see a people who choose to honor the Lord but it's not the masses it's not the masses. Remember our study in Ruth? We're also in the judges era. And yet you see, with the masses, they forget the Lord. People doing according to what they deem is right, what they think is right, walking according to their own ways. That's what the Bible says of the judges generation. But then you see Ruth, you see Naomi, you see, you see Boaz, and praise be to the Lord. And so here we are with in 1 Samuel, and we see Samuel's mama, don't forget, you know, when she was barren, she couldn't have kids, and she prays to the Lord, and the Lord answered her prayers. And then we see little Samuel grow up, and now he's big Samuel. And old man Samuel, and last week in chapter 8, we see how the people reject uh, Samuel, the words of Samuel, remember in, in verse chapter 8, verse 19, they refused to obey the voice of Samuel and the brokenheartedness of Samuel. And the Lord reassures Samuel and says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. You see, they've neglected me. They've turned their back on me. And you see, in the intimacy with the Lord and Samuel, Samuel, he's getting a taste of that. He's getting a taste of the people who have forsaken the Lord and he feels it. You see, and don't forget the Lord is reactionary. So the Lord says to Samuel, let the people have what they want. If they don't want me, let the people have what they want. And so Israel made their choice and now the Lord responds. And so we begin our study here in chapter one, first Samuel, or first uh, Samuel chapter nine, first Samuel chapter nine. And here we are in verse one. 
there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. So the people want a king. Understand the people want a king. Israel wants a king. Where Moses told them, hey, you're going to go into these lands. Don't be like the people. What happens? They go into the lands and they want to be like the people. You see? They got the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Philistines, the Canaanites. And Israel is going to go into the land and they're in the promised land now. Remember, Moses, old man Moses, he didn't go into the promised land. Very important. The first generation did not go into the promised land. An Old Testament example of you and me. First generation born into Adam. Hey, no entry into the promised land. And I speak of paradise. But when a person is born again, second generation, praise be to the Lord, entry into paradise. Very important to understand because remember, we're new covenant believers. We are new covenant believers. And so when we understand what's happening here, and it's so powerful because we start to realize like, wow, the people, they're not listening to what Moses told them. They're not listening to what Joshua told them. They're not listening to what the judges told them. And, you know, remember in the in, in the earlier chapters of 1 Samuel, we see that, yes, even Eli, the high priest, was a judge of Israel, but the formula was wrong in him. You see, the holy formula, because he's a priest, but then the Lord took him and his kids. Why? Because the mercy that was upon them, they abandoned. They took advantage of God's grace and mercy. And it still happens today. People who take advantage of God's grace and mercy. You see? And so the people, they've forgotten the Lord where Moses says, hey, you're set apart. Don't be like those people. Don't be like, because you're the Lord. You're consecrated unto the Lord. And so all of a sudden, they want to be, like, oh, look, the, the Philistines have a king. The Canaanites, they have a king. The, the, the Jebusites, the Moabites, everybody has a king. And here we are. We have no king. Here we are. We have no king. And, you know, what are they to say about us? Who cares what the people have to say? Because it's the Lord who says, no, you are consecrated unto me. And so now they're like straight up, hey, we want a king. They go to Samuel, hey, we want a king. Remember the voice of the people, the voice of the people? Remember we studied that last week? If you're listening for the first time, listen to our study from last week. And if you haven't listened to those studies, go back and listen to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and get yourself caught up. Because you'll understand a whole lot more. Very important to understand. And so the people, you know, they want a king. What, what do you think the desirable qualities would be? What do you think the qualities would be, what the people would desire from a people who have forgotten the Lord, you see? And from a people who refuse the Lord as king. What do you think they'd like to have in a king? And so we look at this lineage of Benjamin and we already notice something. Because remember, in, in, in verse 1, there was a man of Benjamin. And so, you know, we already notice that where the Bible has previous, pre previously spoken of other mighty men. Other mighty men. Because we see here in verse 1 that, you know, this, this Kish, the man of Benjamin, a mighty man of power in verse 1. 
Well, we already see other mighty men in the Bible. Gideon, Jephthah, remember Jephthah? And, you know, with this beautiful daughter, remember? Gideon, Jephthah, mighty men under Joshua. The Bible has already mentioned that there are these mighty men. But when the Bible speaks of Gideon and Jephthah and the, the men under Joshua, the Bible says they're mighty men of valor. Valor. But yet with Kish here, yeah, he's a mighty man, but no valor. The Bible says a mighty man of power. And so when you consider what a people who have forgotten the Lord, a people who are conducting themselves in a manner that seems right to them. But remember, they've forsaken the Lord. That's what we studied last week in chapter eight. They've forsaken the Lord. They've forgotten him. Idolatry. What do you think the noticeable traits would be to a people who have forgotten the Lord? And the same could be said of us too. What are the noticeable traits that we desire in others? What are those noticeable traits? You know, like in marriage, in friends, in relationships, in work, in business, in conduct. Because remember, in Adam and in Christ... Both have major, major, major differences. We are new covenant believers. You and me, when we were born of our mother's womb, we're born into Adam. But then there comes in the life of a person where that person has to make a choice. Do I believe in Jesus or do I not believe in Jesus? And if I believe in Jesus, will I obey Jesus? You see, belief is precursory to obedience because, you know, just look at a baby. Does, does, does a freshly born baby obey mom and dad? No, because freshly born baby has to learn and understand things. So believe to come to Jesus Christ and believe and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All of a sudden, what the Bible says, that's being born again. That's when a person commits his or her life to Jesus Christ. And then comes the learning aspect where now you and me, when we're born again believers, now we learn. And we learn conduct, holiness, living lives that are pleasing unto the Lord. And so in the life of a believer, first generation born into Adam, and then second generation born again in Christ, there are major, major differences between the two. Because you look at carnal marriages, you look at marriages in Adam, you look at friendships in Adam, you look at carnal business practices in Adam. You look at conduct in Adam, and then you look at the same things, but in Christ. You see? And there's a difference. There's a major, major, major difference. But something else must be said. This poses another question, because you might be listening and you're like straight up, you know, like, what's the difference? What's the difference? You know, I'm listening to this guy speak and he says that, you know, you know, okay, I get it. You know, born into Adam and born into Christ and you take Adam on one side and Christ on the other side. And I get it, you know, like, okay, there's, there's these two camps, so to speak. And you hear us say these things and you're like, okay, I get it. There's Adam and there's Christ. But then he says, you know, that there's a major difference, but I don't see a difference. And that might be you. You might be listening. You're like, you know, he says, look at the marriages. But, you know, I look at the marriages in Adam. I look at the marriages in Christ and I see the divorce rate is exactly the same. You say, I look at, you know, uh, uh, business people in Adam and business people in, in that, that say they're Christians. 
And I'm listening to this guy speak and he says there's major differences, but like I know some Christian business owners and I know some non-Christian business owners and you know, both are the same. Both are the same. They conduct themselves the same or just people, you know, I, I know these people who are non-believers and I know these people who are Christians and they behave the same. They speak the same. They act the same. You know, we go to the bar together. We watch these dirty movies together. It's like, wow, there's no difference except this guy says he's a Christian. This lady says she's a Christian. There's no difference. And then you hear me say that, you know, there's major differences. And you're like wondering, like, what is he talking about? What's the difference? Where on one side we have Adam. On the other side we have the church. The church. We look at the marriages. It's the same. We look at the friendships and people and their conduct and how they conduct themselves and behavior. It's the same. You see, now the argument could be made that straight up, you know, hey, this guy's crazy. You might be listening. You're like, well, this guy's crazy because he says there's a difference. There's a major difference, but I don't see the difference. The argument could be made that, hey, I lost my mind. And you hear us say that there are these major differences. But then you look at Adam and the church and you see no difference. And before you conclude that I've lost my mind, before you conclude that I'm crazy. Take a closer look. Take a closer look. Because on one side, you have Adam. On the other side, you have the church. But then when you take a closer look, when you look closer, when you get out the the magnifying glass, and in some cases, you get out the microscope, and you take a closer look. On one side, you have Adam. On the other side, you have the church. But then when you take a closer look with your magnifying glass at the church, you notice There are seven different groups. And in these seven different groups, that's where you see the major difference. Because it's only with two where you see the major difference. And that's the remnant. You see, it's only with the two. That's why when you look at Revelation chapter two and three, you see seven churches, seven churches. And all of them are told to repent. All of them are told to repent, except for two, Smyrna and Philadelphia. They have good pastors. They have good pastors, good shepherds, good overseers, good leadership. Remember, leadership matters. And so when you hear us speak about, you know, on one side is Adam, on one side is the church, and or, you know, on one side is Adam and one side is Christ. And, you know, you, you look at, you know, church and Christ. Remember when Jesus says to, uh, 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 you know, uh, you know, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me when Saul was persecuting the church? And so all of a sudden, at the same time, you start to realize when you look at Revelation chapter two and three, you see seven churches and five of them, they have some issues. And to five of them, Jesus says, repent, 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 repent. In Laodicea, Jesus, he's not even there. He's on the outside. The people go to church and Jesus is on the outside. You see, it's like, why why is there even a church when Jesus is on the outside? Jesus should be inside the church. You see? And so if you're listening, you're not a believer, or maybe you are a believer and you're lukewarm. Lukewarm. And don't be offended when when we say stuff like this, because, hey, if you're lukewarm, you probably know it. If you have one foot in the church and one foot in the world, you probably know it. Or, yeah, you love Christ, but you also like the whiskey. You see? Yeah, you love Christ, but you also love the sex. You see? Yeah, you love Christ, but you also love the meth. You see? And the Lord says, come out of her, my people. 
Jesus is the one who says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out in the body and now expelled out of the body. You see? And so when you look at one side where you see the church, you take out your magnifying glass and you look closer and you say, wow, there's these Christians here. They're married, but wow, they're divorced. They're on their fifth marriage. They're on their third, fourth, fifth, sixth marriage. There's this other Christian. She's having sex like crazy. There's this other Christian. He's having sex like crazy. There's this other Christian. They're doing the meth like crazy. There's this other Christian. They're doing the gambling like crazy. They're doing all these carnal behaviors. And so you look at Adam and you're like, well, wow, what's the difference? You see no difference. But when you look at two with the magnifying glass and you see Smyrna, you see Philadelphia, and that's where you see the major difference. You know what that is? That's the remnant. That's the remnant. That's where you see the major difference only with the remnant. You say, wow, that sounds awfully elitist. Listen, it isn't at all. You know what it's called? The Bible calls it the narrow path, the narrow path. And this door of the path, capital D, this door of the path, it's presently open. It's not going to be open forever, but it's presently open. And the narrow path requires guidance, you see? And so you have a choice to make. If you're listening and you're hearing these words and you're like, wow, you know, I get it. You know, born again into Adam and you know, or, or born into Adam and you're starting to realize like, wow, you might be a non-believer. And you're like, yeah, you know, I do the sex, I do the drugs, I do the alcohol, I do all these things, you know, because you're in Adam. But then the gears of faith start to turn and all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know what? But I believe. I believe it. I don't know anything about the Bible, but I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And that God is the most high, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if that's you, you have a choice to make. Come to Christ. Commit your life to Christ. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you don't know anything about the Bible. You know what? Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. That's going to come in time. You know what's nice about not knowing anything of the Bible? You have no baggage. You have no baggage. You know, it's really hard to speak to Calvinists because Calvinists, they have to unlearn and then come to Christ, you see, or to speak to Lutherans because they have to unlearn and come to Christ, you see, or to speak to Mormons because they have to unlearn and come to Christ or Catholics because they have to unlearn and come to Christ. But when you know nothing about the Bible, praise be to the Lord, it's easier because you have no baggage, no doctrinal baggage. And so if that's you and you're like, you know what, that gears of faith are starting to turn and I believe in God, I believe that, you know, in the most high, I don't know anything about him, but I believe in the most high and I believe he has a son and I believe his son is the way. And you say, I do want to receive Jesus Christ. I want to commit Jesus Christ. I want to commit my life to him. And if that's you, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ, you come, you, 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 you commit your life to Christ, you come back, you listen, and we continue in this journey together. And praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. And so when we make these differentiations and these, these distinctions between Adam and Christ, understand that in Christ, there's a, a specific blueprints for in Christ. And these are things that our Lord warns us about, you know, to the uh, to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And so that's where we make this distinction with the seven churches. You know, five, the Lord says, repent, 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 repent. 
And but the two, Smyrna and Philadelphia, they're in good standing. They don't, the Lord doesn't say repent to them. Why? Because they're clean. They're pure before the Lord, Smyrna and Philadelphia. And that's the remnant. Now, I want to say something specifically, specifically, specifically to the remnant. Remnant only. Understand that as we get further into the last days, you're also going to get further into solitude. And not physically per se, but spiritually you will. It's a condition that's reserved for holy people. It's a condition that's reserved for consecrated people. Because here in 1 Samuel chapter 9, you look at all the people here. All the people here in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and 9 in this particular era. And we see Samuel with all the people. But he's not with all the people. We see Samuel among all the people. But he's alone. You see? This is something that the remnant is going to taste in the last days. Where, you know, you see all of Israel. You see the elders. And there's Samuel. He's with them. You could, with carnal eyes, you can see, okay, there's Samuel. Here's the, you know, the elders. And we've got some priests over here. And here's all the people. With carnal eyes, you can see that. But then with spiritual eyes and eyes to see, you can see that, whoa, Samuel's different. He's there with the people, but he's not with the people. He's among the people, but there's a solitude to him. And so for the remnant, and this is for the remnant only. You're going to be with friends and family and co-workers and classmates and teammates. You'll even be among believers. But what's going to happen is you'll be spiritually alone. Alone. And let me tell you something. You're not alone. You're not alone. It's just like the days of Elijah. With Elijah, he was alone, but it was the Lord who told him and gave him comfort and said, Elijah, you're not alone. You're not alone. You feel alone. You look alone, but you're not alone. Because the Lord tells him there are 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal. You see? It's the condition of holy people. It's the condition of a consecrated people. It's the condition of those who are set apart where you feel alone. And it's a condition reserved for the remnant in the last days. And be of good cheer. Because there are assurances in the word of God that we have. That the Lord says, hey, you're not alone. And those are the insurance, the assurances of, uh, of uh, uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Good standing with the Lord. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we see this lineage of Kish, a mighty man of power. And in verse 2, look what happens here in verse 2. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a man, there, there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So this mighty man of power, Kish, he has a son, very handsome, very handsome. I mean, you know, in all Israel, no one more handsome. That's what the Bible says, you know, in all Israel, there's no one more handsome, tall, handsome, strong. You know, people would marvel at this guy. Cover of all the magazines in Israel, the most handsome man in all Israel. Wow, this guy, you know, he's got a lot going on, it would seem. And I want to say something to my sisters in Christ who are single. 
my beautiful, beautiful sisters in Christ who are single. Let me tell you something. Number one, there's no greater love story. There is no greater love story than you and Jesus. You and Jesus, the better husband. And on this side of eternity, if you desire a husband, know what to look for. Know what to look for. Let's study the Bible together. Let's walk together. And let's know what to look for because in the course of time, you're going to see things. You're going to understand things. Where a guy might have, he might have all the goods according to the flesh. But when you see differently, when you grow and mature in Christ, you know, he might have all the goods, but then at the same time, you start to realize, whoa, this guy's rotten. This guy's a disgusting pig. And he's disqualified from your love and affection. You see? And you might even agree with me and Paul. You might even agree with us on the recommendation about marriage. And, you know, that's going to come in time. And if, you, if you're a new believer or, you know, if you if you decided that, you know what, I'm going to listen to this guy. Make sure you listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. You might agree with us about marriage. Very important. There is nothing, 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 nothing more handsome than righteousness. You see? There is nothing, 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 nothing more beautiful than righteousness. And where is righteousness found? Where is righteousness found? It's found in the pages of Scripture, in the Word of God. You see? And for my Jewish friends who are listening, you know, this Benjamite named Saul doesn't turn out so well for Israel. Here we see in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we see that there's this Benjamite named Saul. And it doesn't turn out so well for Israel. But I know of another Benjamite named Saul who turns out to be much better for Israel. You see? And for you also, you walk with us and you listen to our studies because you're, you're going to understand more and more and more and more about the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation and covenants. Very important to understand. And so in verse 3 here in chapter 9 in verse 3, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha. But they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. Very interesting what we see here. Saul and servant. You see two guys here. Saul and servant. They travel through the lands of the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Ephraim. You see? And for my Jewish friends, that's Ben-Oni from the, room, from the womb of Rachel. And Ephraim from the womb of from the womb of Asnath, born to Zaphnath Paneah. You see, very important to understand because the Word of God reveals to us and shows us. And there is a, a narrow path that leads to the revealing of the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Very important to understand for my Jewish friends. And this Saul, he sent out to search here in chapter 9. He sent out to search, but he could not find. 
And in verse 5, when they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with them, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. So now what happens is the servant responds. In verse 6, and he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone. And there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? So they're searching for the donkeys. They're searching and cannot find They're searching and cannot find. Saul's compass, it's out of whack. They cannot find. And there's no bread in their vessels. No bread in their vessels. The bread in their vessels is all gone. Very interesting. As New Covenant believers, very interesting what we see so far. And in verse 8, And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. In verse 9, for parentheses in verse 9, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus: Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. And seer is one who regards, heeds, discerns, and sees. One who regards heeds, discerns, and sees. And now they're referred to as prophet. Prophet. Now, understand, prophets, prophets. Prophets can be viewed as good and bad because the Bible also speaks of the false prophet. One who doesn't regard, one who doesn't heed, one who doesn't discern and doesn't see. These are false prophets. You see, you take a lineup of a thousand prophets. How do you know which is good? How do you know which? You take a lineup of a thousand prophets. How do you know which is good? I'll give you the answer. And you probably already know if you've been walking with us for a while. Formula. Formula. That's how you know. And this is something that we're going to see down the road in our studies in the Old Testament, where the Most High God says of prophets, He straight up says, hey, I'm not with them. The people acknowledge these people as Israel, Israel and Judah. They acknowledge these people as prophets. And the Lord just straight up says, I'm not with these guys. You acknowledge them as prophets, but hey, I'm not with them. They don't speak for me. I don't speak for them. And this is while the people acknowledge them as prophets. You see? Very important to understand when we speak of formula because it's very holy. Blueprints outlined in the word of God so that we can know what to look for. It's just like pastors today. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Churches are everywhere. Pastors are everywhere. Teachers are everywhere. But when you understand formula, you know that there are also false teachers. You see? And when you understand formula, you know how to discern false teacher from 
biblical teacher. Where in the city of Corinth, remember our study through the Corinthian letters? Where Paul says, you have 10,000 teachers. You have 10,000 teachers, Paul said. But where the formula is right, just one. You see? You have 10,000 teachers, but one father. Picture that. Picture that for a moment. You and me, let's get in my time machine. Let's get in my time machine, you and me, and let's set the, set the, uh, set the date. We set the date, hit the green button, step on the gas, and boom, we're in the city in Corinth. We're in Corinth. And, you know, somebody reads a letter to us, and, hey, we got a letter from Paul. And Paul says you have 10,000 teachers, so let's add Paul to the mix. There are 10,001 pastors and teachers. 10,001 pastors and teachers that you and me can choose to submit to. 10,001. Now, you would think that's a good thing. Like, wow, look, we have, we have all these teachers. We have all these pastors. We have, you know, the, we can pick anybody. But only one is right. Only one is right. And a person could say, oh, you know, this is rubbish. But we see what happens with the wrong pastor. Look at Corinth. We see what happens when, with the wrong leadership. And when leadership, when the pastors and elders become defunct, we see what happens with the sex and the alcohol and the extortion. We see it. One could say the odds are against us. And in most cases, that's right. One could say it's impossible. And in most cases, that's right again. Remember, 10,001 pastors. You take 10,000 teachers and you add Paul to the mix. 10,001. But when you and me, remember we got in my time machine and we're there in the Corinth era. When you and me have profound love for the truth, we love the Lord and we love the truth. You and me understand formula because we read the Bible. And you and me know Wow, you know what? Paul is right. There's 10,001. But you and me, we're with Paul. That's what happens when we understand formula. And we're with Paul because we understand formula. We understand what the Bible teaches. The Bible shows us what to look for. And it's like you look at all these 10,000 and, hey, you know what? They're off. They're off. You see? And with Paul, he watches out for our soul. You see? And it's not unlike the prophets of old. And these are, th and we have to understand the covenants too, you know, old and new covenants, the rules of engagement under each covenant. Very important to understand. And if you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our study through Galatians and Leviticus and Hebrews. Very important to understand the rules of engagement within each covenant. And so the reason why we mention this, you say, wait a second, why are you talking about Corinth when we're in the Old Testament? Because we're going to see what happens in the prophets, especially when we get into, when we get to Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, we're going to see where the Lord straight up says, yeah, there's all these prophets, but I don't speak for them. They don't speak with me and I'm not with them. And if the Lord reveals that he's not with the prophets, the, the people acknowledge these men as prophets of the Lord. And if the Lord says, and the Lord does reveal that, hey, I'm not with these guys, what in the world are they saying? 
And not just what are they saying, what are they doing? And not just what are they saying and what are they doing? Why in the world is Israel, why in the world is Judah heeding what these men say? You see? You understand formula today. And you look at all the Christians. It's like, wait a second. Why in the world are these Christians submitting themselves to the teachings of this guy over here or this lady over here or this guy or this lady or this lady or this guy? Why? Nothing new under the sun. It happened with Israel. It happened with Judah. But when we understand formula, we know, wow, I can't submit myself to Joel Osteen. I can't submit myself to, you know, a, a Joyce Meyer, you see. I can't submit myself to the teachings of John Calvin. Very important to understand. The people want to go grave soaking. The pastors, they want to go grave soaking. I can't submit. You can't submit yourself to that. And when you don't understand formula, you will. But when you do understand formula, you know, wow, that's necromancy. That's an abomination before the Lord. Pastor, you need to repent. No, scratch that. Well, pastor, you need to repent for your soul. But pastor, you also need to step down because you're disqualified. That's what happens when you understand formula. Very specific recipe found in the word of God. And so here we are in verse 10. Then Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered them. And they answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. So we see this sacrifice here in verse 11 and 12. We see this sacrifice and it seems to be nice with this sacrifice. It seems to be nice. It seems to be orderly. You know, an or something orderly is happening here. Sacrifice. Oh, that's a good high place. Oh, that's a good thing. But remember last week. Last week in chapter 8, our study in chapter 8, where the Lord says to Samuel, the people aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And the Lord says to Samuel, give the people what they want. And if I may inject my commentary here, I wonder, I wonder if Samuel's focus has shifted here at this point in chapter 9. Where previous sacrifices when he was a younger man, I wonder if his previous sacrifices were for the whole of Israel. Praying, fasting, interceding for Israel. And now that Israel has rejected God, I wonder if Samuel's focus has shifted from the whole of Israel and specifically to the remnant of Israel. I wonder. As the Lord has become forgotten by the whole, I wonder if Samuel's sacrifice and prayers and fasting, I wonder if it's specifically for the remnant and the remnant only. Because remember, the Lord told him, hey, they're rejecting me. They're rejecting me. But we also see something in the judge's era, and that's the remnant where we see Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, and there's more. 
And, you know, I can't wait to meet the ones that whose names are not in the Bible. I can't wait to meet them because there's more. The remnant is not alone. You're going to feel alone, but you are not alone. Old Testament, New Testament, and still today, you're going to feel alone. Like you just do not fit in this world. You can be even with Christians, but you, you just don't fit. You go to men's group. You go to women's group. You go with the kids group. You might be a teenager. You go with the teens group. You do whatever groups there are. And you just, I don't fit. You don't fit. I mean, you take a saint from Philadelphia, you, you take a saint from Smyrna, and you put that saint in Laodicea, they're not going to fit. They're going to be alone. You see? Where it's like, how could you say they're alone? They're in Laodicea. There's like, you know, 10,000 saints there. You're the 10,000, there's 10,000 10, believers there. But you take a guy from Philadelphia, you take a lady from Philadelphia, you take a girl from Smyrna, a, a boy from Smyrna, and you put them in Laodicea, no, they're going to feel alone. So you take one from each, four, and you put them together, that's a remnant. They're going to, you know what that is? That's love feast with the remnant. That's love feast. That's something beautiful. That's Ecclesia, Koinonia. But to the others, the Lord says, repent, straight up red letters in, in Revelation 2 and 3. I mean, not to overemphasize red letters because, you know, the word became flesh. But if you're reading a Bible that has the red letters, you know, red letters in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. Very important to understand what the word of God says. There's something special that is reserved for the remnant and it's for the remnant only. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 9, you have these women at the well, or shall we say, on their way to the well. And in verse 13, as soon as you come into the city, they're speaking, as soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before. Because remember, Saul and the servant, they're looking for the seer, the prophet. And so the women, they tell them, the women are the ones who give them direction. And in verse 13, as soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up into the before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore, go up. For about this time you will find him. Very interesting what we see about the people here. They're waiting to eat, they're waiting for blessing. Very interesting. They're waiting for the blessing. They're waiting for this sacrifice. They're waiting. And you know what's so interesting about this is that the Lord told Samuel, hey, they've forsaken me and serve other gods. And so they've already forsaken the Lord. And yet they're going through the motions of certain behaviors that the law testifies must be done. And these are things that we're going to see in our future studies in the Old Testament. Where you're going to see people, Israel and Judah, and it even happens in the church among Christians, among believers. And you're going to see where there's idolatry in the camp. But they're going through the motions of service. You see? There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. And Brother James says, hey, there can't be a disconnect. You see? 
belief and obedience. There is no disconnect. The two are connected. Remember the, you know, you and me, we go to uh, go get some burgers and I say, hey, give me a number one. Well, I'm not going to get one singular thing. I say, give me a number one, which seems like a singular thing, but I'm not getting just, I'm getting my burger. I'm getting my tater tots and I'm getting my soda. And then I look at you and say, hey, what would you like? And you say, hey, I want a number one too. And it's okay, two number ones. We're not getting singular things. We're not getting singular things. You see, it's a package deal. You're getting your burger. I've already got mine. You're getting your burger. You're getting your tater tots. And you're getting your soda. And then we go to our table. We eat and have beautiful fellowship together. You see? This is something we see in Corinth as well. Because remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, Hey, you guys are saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Hey, you guys are saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Hey, you guys are saints. You're babies, but you're saints. You drink milk, but you're saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Hey, you guys are saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Remnant separate from the leaven. You see, and in first Corinthians chapter five, that's where we see the separation. Very important to understand where Paul says, Hey, your rejoicing isn't good. Your rejoicing is not a good thing. Why? Because there's leaven in the camp. There's idolatry in the camp. That's what Paul says. That's new covenant. We see it in the old Testament, according to the old covenant, but we also see it in the new covenant. Do you see? Very important to understand where Paul says, hey, you guys are all saints. But when belief and obedience doesn't match, that's when you get into leaven territory. And leaven must be addressed by the overseers. I mean, they're self-policing too. Other believers, other brothers and sisters can correct. But remember, you cannot have a plank in your eye because that's hypocrisy. And where there's hypocrisy, now the person who's attempting to correct also enters judgment. And that's where we get in Romans chapter 2. You see, you cannot be a hypocrite and correct. Remember, only the clean can clean. Old Testament, New Testament, and still today. Only the clean can clean. You see? You cannot be a hypocrite. If you're going to, you know, people say, oh, don't judge me, don't judge me, don't judge me, lest you be judged. That's what the Bible says. And it's true that the Bible says, don't judge, lest you be judged. But at the same time, what is also written? How does that, when we look at the, the, the passage in that verse, how does it continue? The Lord says, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you can judge. It's not just, you know, don't judge, lest you be judged. It's don't judge, lest you be judged. But before you do that, you have to take the plank out of your eye and then you can judge because you can see clearly and you're not a hypocrite. You see, you see how Satan works because Satan has tricked the people. Oh, don't judge lest you be judged. Don't judge lest you be judged. And no one judges. No one says, hey, you know, what's up with the sex? You see pastors, overseers, you know, people in the church having sex like crazy. People in the church doing drugs like crazy. You know, the meth and the alcohol, the whiskey, the, the Ouija boards, all kinds of different things. The gambling, you know, the casinos, all kinds of different things. And you see pastors, oh, don't judge, let you be judged. So, okay, go ahead and do your sex. You see, okay, you know, you, you guys are, are married and you're going to get a divorce and you're going to get on your second marriage, your third marriage, your fourth marriage. Oh, yeah, go ahead. You know, God is love. God is love. Oh, you want to do your meth? Oh, go ahead. Go for it. You know, knock yourself out. God is love. God is love. And Satan has deceived. Hook, line, and sinker. Hook, 
line sinker. People bought it. People put up with it. That was Paul's phobia. People put up with it. When Jesus, when he says, don't judge lest you be judged, what happens is that you have pastors who are the sex heads. You have pastors who are on meth. You have pastors who are alcoholics. You have pastors who go to the strippers. You have pastors who do the pornography. You have pastors who do the Ouija boards involved with the occult. And then pastors who haven't taken the place. Number one, they have no business at the pulpit. They should not be pastors at all. They have no business there because they become corrupt. They corrupt themselves. And then you have these wicked men. They speak to people and they say, hey, don't go visit the prostitutes when the pastor themselves is a sex head doing the prostitutes. You see? The pastor says, hey, don't go to the strip clubs when the pastor himself is doing the strip clubs. You see? Pastors who go to, you know, they drive, oh, I'm going to go on, I'm on a mission trip. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, drive over here and see what the landscape of the land, what, what things look like over here so that, you know, I can go and pray for the area and do all these things. And really what they're doing, they want to go to the strip clubs and see the prostitutes in another town. You see, and that's what's happening. So that, you know, supposedly no one will know they buy their burner phones. They get their phones so they can still do their dirty activity on their phone but they do it on another phone, on their burner phone. That's what's happening. And then pastors come back to their home church and the people, the congregation, they think, wow, you know, what a holy man. What a holy man. Wow, he went to this area to pray and now we're going to send this mission group over here, this mission team, you know. Wow, what a holy thing. When the whole time the pastor, he's been doing his sex, his alcohol, he's been doing his drugs, he's been doing all kinds of different things. He comes home, the wife gets, you know, an STD, she gets gonorrhea, she hasn't done anything. She gets syphilis, she hasn't done anything. You see, and it's happening. And the people think like, wow, you know what? Oh, I have this drug problem. I'm going to go talk to my pastor. Oh, I have this, you know, this sex problem. I'm going to go talk to my pastor. And then, hey, pastor, can I talk to you? Hey, pastor, I have a problem with the sex. I have a problem with the pornography. And I have a problem with the prostitutes and the strippers and the meth and the crack and the, you know, cooking spoons. And hey, pastor, I have a problem with all these things. And then all of a sudden the pastor opens his stupid mouth. And stupid pastor starts to speak and says, hey, this isn't good for you to do. This isn't good for you to do. You need to repent. You need to repent and you need to get right with the Lord. You see? And remember, only the clean can clean. So now what's happening, there's a breaking of what the Lord says about, you know, uh, take the plank out of your own eye. So the pastor didn't heed that. And that's already bad. Number one, the pastor has no business at the pulpit. And already the pastor doesn't heed that. But then now what comes into play, because of his hypocrisy and attempting to correct, now Romans 2 comes into play. And that's straight up judgment. You see? Very important to understand what the Word of God says. Because now you have a pastor who is a hypocrite. He has the plank in his eye. And he's attempting to shepherd God's people. He's attempting to shepherd God's people to paradise, to heaven. When he himself has a plank in his eye, when he himself has made himself corrupt, and then Romans 2 comes into play and it's straight up judgment. You see? And then what happens? 
The wife has syphilis. Wife has gonorrhea. Now she's HIV positive, And now she dies. You see, and it's happening. Men who have dead wives because the wife didn't do anything. The husband went out and did his dirty business, got HIV positive, came home, gave his wife HIV, and she's dead now. And now you have these kids. Children who want nothing to do with the Lord. They want absolutely nothing to do with the Lord. Because what they think in their mind, you know, I was a Christian, I was 10 years old, and my dad did this. I was 15 years old, and my mom did this. And look, now I'm 18 years old, and my mom is dead. She died of AIDS. She didn't do anything. Look, she died of AIDS. And the kid says, I want nothing to do with Christianity, because I was under Christianity, and it was a mess. And Satan laughs. Satan laughs. You see? Let me tell you something. If you're a person and you want nothing to do with Christianity because Christianity has ruined you and ruined your life. And when I say Christianity, that's like lowercase c. What you assume to be Christianity, what you thought to be Christianity, that wasn't Christianity. You see, it was apostasy. Because you take that scenario, the pastor had no business counseling. The pastor, you hit the rewind button. The pastor, number one, he had no business at the pulpit because he was a hypocrite. No, he should not have been in the pulpit. Where were they? You know, all these, you see pastors making these stupid mistakes and they speak stupidly. They speak from a heart that is rotten. You see, they speak from a heart that is depraved. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, you know what? I'm the pastor and look, I have five elders around me and we are the leaders. We are the leaders. They think they're so awesome. We are the leaders. Well, you know what? Now what comes into play? Also, those elders are now complicit in the wickedness. So you take a church, there's the, the head pastor. Oh, look, I'm the head pastor. You see churches with parking spots. Oh, look, the head pastor parks here. The co-pastor parks here. And then the co-co-pastor parks here. And then the co-co-co-co-co-pastor parks here. And then the elders park over here. And everybody has to walk, you know, you know, extra distance because, oh, they're, 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 they're not in the leadership class. And all these leaders are judged by the Lord. Why? Wrong formula. Wrong formula. Because where you have stupid pastor, the entire leadership is complicit in the foolishness. Because the pastors and elders, they should be the ones that say, hey, pastor, you know, go on hiatus. Step down, repent, get cleaned up before the Lord because, hey, this isn't right. This should not happen. You see, formula is wrong. But where are the men? Where in the world are the men of God? The pastors and the elders, where are they? And sure, you know, they're everywhere. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. Where are the men in whom the formula is right, holy before the Lord, that are biblically qualified to shepherd God's people to paradise? Where are they? You see? And these are things that are happening in Israel under the leadership that they desire because they have the elders. There's, there's forms of leadership like, you know, in, in Moses and Joshua and the elders, there's forms of leadership. But now the people, they desire a king. 
They want a king when the Lord says, hey, I'm your king. I'm going to rule. I'm going to rule over you. And it's not like, you know, you know, sometimes I talk to non-believers. It's like, why? You know what? Why would God speak like that? Number one, he's Lord. He is sovereign. And I've lived both ways. I've lived in life according to my way. And I live life according to what the Bible says. And let me tell you something. Submitting unto Jesus Christ is way better. Because if I was living in my own way, I'd be dead or in prison. Dead or in prison. Dead by the hand of myself through failed suicides. Or dead by being shot by cops. Or in prison by being for murder, for being in prison. That's where I should be if the Lord didn't intervene in my life. And I submitted to Jesus Christ. And here we are. You and me, studying the word of God together. His ways are better. You see? And so, just like the example we gave when, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you know, Saul is speaking to saints. You know, chapter 1, you guys are all saints. Chapter 2, you guys are all saints. Chapter 3, you guys are saints. You're babies, but you're saints. Chapter 4, you're saints. Chapter 5, hey, you're saints. But now we make this distinction, just like we made in the earlier passage with, you know, uh, 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 born into Adam and born into Christ. And you look at born into Christ, but then you look a little with the magnifying glass and you see the, uh, 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 the seven churches and you see Smyrna and Philadelphia. There's something majorly different about them. And where you see the leaven, that's where you see, well, you know, they need to be clean before the Lord. They need to be clean before the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, all of a sudden, Paul says, okay, you guys are all saints, but you have to separate. Where you see the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and the things of the, of the flesh, the extortion. No, the remnant has to separate from that. You see? And don't forget, in the case of Corinth, that was uncorrected. Uncorrected for three years. The sex, the alcohol, the extortion, and all the works of the flesh uncorrected you know they had they had elders they had pastors they had teachers where paul says you have 10,000 teachers but one father 10,000 teachers that permitted all these the leaven to fester and picture that you're in church and all of a sudden Paul comes walking in and says, hey you guys are all saints you know i love you but we need to make a distinction here Everybody who's doing the sex and the the drugs and the alcohol and the extortion and all kinds of works of the flesh, uncorrected by your pastors, uncorrected by your elders for three years, maybe even three years plus. All of you, out. You know how mad people are going to be? They're going to take Paul and they're going to kick him to the curb. And instead, Paul comes in and says, okay, all of you who are not doing the sex, not doing the alcohol, not doing the Ouija boards, not doing the extortion, hey, everybody, walk with me. You see? Walk with me. Very important to understand what the Bible teaches, specifically for the remnant. And we see what happens, you know, outside of the remnant. We see what happens with Israel when Judah breaks off. And you think like, wow, you know, the remnant in Judah. But in the course of time, there's even a remnant of Judah. 
You see? You look at the church. The early days of the church. Wow, it's so beautiful. And yes, it's very beautiful. And how the church just blows up. And yes, it's beautiful. People becoming saved. And you see Peter, thousands, people would speak and thousands would come. And Paul would speak. Hundreds. And certain areas, Paul would speak in just several people. Remember when Paul was in Areopagus? Our study in the book of Acts. Remember, if you've been walking with us for a while. Paul didn't have the thousands like Peter. Does that mean that Peter was better? I mean, if we were to look at numbers, you know, like who, who's getting more converts? Who's getting more converts? You'd be like, wow, you know, Peter, wow, he's, he's awesome. You know, he's getting converts like crazy. Wow, Peter is better. But don't forget, Peter almost got, well, he did get sucked into the idolatry that was happening in Galatia. It almost took Peter. And it was Paul who corrected him. You see, it's not about the numbers. It's about the truth. The truth. Very important. And so here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and we see like, wow, you know, here you have these people. Remember, they've forsaken the Lord, but at the same time, they're going through these motions, being idolatrous. And sometimes New Covenant believers, as Christians, we look at this and be like, well, you know, that's, that's Israel. That's Old Testament. You know, I'm a New Covenant believer. The same thing happens with us. The same exact thing happens with us. Look at the church today. Very important. And so the women at the well here in 1 Samuel chapter 9 at the well, they spoke, or the women who were on their way to the well, and the men heed them. And we see here in verse 14. <clears throat> in verse 14. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel. You see, I'm so in love with Samuel. Hannah, his beautiful mom, you see Samuel, little, little baby Samuel, so beautiful. I'm so in love with our family of faith. I'm so in love with our family of faith. All of them, every single one, even the ones I don't know, I can't wait to meet them. And even you, the ones I presently don't know according to the flesh. And I pray that one day that I'll be able to meet you on this side of eternity. And it's so, have you ever been to like an old person's house? Nowadays, people look at pictures and everything's on their phone, their computer, their tablets, whatever. But back in the day, you go see to an old person and you sit at their couch, you know, and on the coffee table, they have like a photo album. Sometimes you see like stacks of photo albums and you go to the photo albums, you know, and they show, oh, look, you know, there's this guy. That's my uncle. There's this. Oh, that's me when I was a little boy. That's me when I was a little girl, you know, and they start to speak to you. Oh, look, that's, that's your great, 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 great grandpappy. Well, I don't know if they had cameras back then, but you know, here's a drawing of great, 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 great grandpappy, you know, and it's like, wow, it's so beautiful how this is our family. And people have these things in the ways of Adam. And yes, there's a biological family, but that's how I am when we open up the Bible. We open up the Bible. It's like, wow, you know what? Look, there's Abraham. Wow, look, there's Sarah. And yeah, they had their issues, but you know, look at how the Lord, look at how things turned out for good. You see? And look, here's, here's uh, 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 Obadiah. And here's little Samuel, baby Samuel. Here's beautiful Hannah. Look how beautiful she is. Praying when the high priest thought she was drunk. Look how beautiful she is. It's like we're going through our photo album. We open up the word of God and we open up our photo album. And we see, wow, look, here's, here's Hannah. Wow, look, here's Ruth. You see? 
Here's, here's uh, Nathaniel. Here's Philip. And the word became flesh and have intimacy with our Lord. Beautiful, beautiful intimacy with our Lord. You see? And so we see here in verse 14, as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward, toward them on his way up to the high place. In verse 15, now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, in verse 16, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may serve my people from the hand, so that he may that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. Now, for my Jewish friends, for my Jewish friends in the ultra orthodox tradition. You rightly attest that God sent Saul from Benjamin. But you wrongly reject the next Saul of Benjamin. Student of Gamaliel, a teacher of Kohanim. Very important to understand for my ultra-Orthodox Jewish friends. I love you. So what happens here is the Lord has spoken to Samuel the day before. The day before meeting Saul, the Lord said to Samuel, speaking in Samuel's ear. That's what the passage says here. Speaking to his ear. And I'm so in love with Samuel and this beautiful intimacy we see with the Lord. Because have you ever been in a crowded place? Like a super duper crowded place. But you're on a phone call and you have Bluetooth or some kind of earpiece. Where you're in a crowd of place. Observable by everybody. You're, I mean, you're, there's you and you're in a crowded place. But what isn't seen and what isn't understood is the voice that's being heard in your intimate conversation. You're walking in a mall. You're walking in a park. And you're observable. People can see like, wow, you know, there's this guy walking over here. Or if you're female, well, there's this lady walking over here. Or if you're young, wow, there's this boy over here. There's this girl over here. Or if you're old, there's this old guy over here, old lady over here. And you, you, here you are in the mall, walking. Here you are at the park, walking. But what they can't see or understand or hear is the conversation you're having in intimacy with your Bluetooth. You're speaking to somebody, you see? And I love this so much because, you know, that's what I think about when I see like, wow, here's Saul or Samuel. He's with all these people. And yet you see there's a beautiful intimacy he has with the Lord. And so the Lord speaks to him in his ear, like, listen, this is the guy. This is the guy you're going to anoint, you see? And that's what I think about when the Lord speaks to Samuel. Remember, in his ear, where people can see Samuel, Samuel going about his business and duties. And yet, because the formula is right in him, and because the Lord has called him, the Lord speaks in his ear with very, very specific instructions. Samuel, tomorrow, this is going to happen, and this is what you got to do. You see? Now, it's interesting to note that the sending of Saul, the sending of Saul began with the donkeys. The donkeys went missing, remember, in the earlier uh, verses? And Saul was sent to go find them. And it reminds me of another donkey with Balaam. Remember Balaam, our, our study through Numbers? And with Balaam, where it started out fine. With Balaam, we see intimacy with God. And that's a good thing. 
But through New Testament and Old Testament truths, we know, we know that it was the desire for profit that caused Balaam to defect from the Lord and to align himself with Balak. So I remember our study in Numbers, we see Balak as a type of Satan. And for my Jewish friends, you know, we see Balak as a type of Beelzebub. Remember that serpent of old? It's exactly what we see with Demas. Remember Paul and Demas and his, the Paul's tiny bubble? And what we see with Demas and his desire for profit. See you later, Paul. See you later, Paul. I'm out. Bright lights, big city, you know, land of opportunity. I'm out of here, Paul. And as the saying goes, more money, more problems. And that's what happened with Demas. And it's exactly what our Lord warns about with the cares and the riches of life. We just studied that in the book of Mark, remember? Not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. And so here we are in verse 16. And it seems like a good thing. We see the rescue from the Philistines. Wow, that's a good thing. You know, the Lord says, you know, I'm not, this, is, this is who's going to rescue Israel from the Philistines. He's like, what? Save them from the Philistines? And you go, wow, that's, that's good. That's good. The Lord hearing the cries of the people, that's good, right? That's a good thing, isn't it? And the answer depends. The answer depends. I mean, sometimes you don't want to have these conversations with people, especially when people seek counsel. You know, give me an answer. You know, is it, is it, is it yes or is it no? Or is it this or is it that? What depends? I don't want to hear that. I want to hear definitive. What is it? You know, I want this. I want that. And what, what do I do? What do I do? It depends. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord is reactionary. What is it that the Lord is responding to? Because here we see in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we see like, wow, this is, this is a good thing. There's, you know, the saving from the Philistines. That's a good thing. But remember, the Lord is responding to Israel who has forgotten him, rejected him, forsaken him, and have become idolatrous. You see? So what's happening? What's happening? While, while rescue from the Philistines seems good, what's next? What happens next? And this is something very important for all of us to understand that when the formula is right inside of you, inside of me, praise be to the Lord. But when intimacy, you and me have intimacy with the Lord, the Lord does provide direction. Very specific instruction, very specific direction, very specific guidance. But when the formula is wrong, just like the cares and the riches of life that our Lord tells us about. Remember our study in Mark? When the formula becomes wrong, what happens is that Satan can have a foothold to where direction can be off. You see? And that's what happens to babies. That's what happens to the baby believer. Remember, the root doesn't grow. Remember, if you're listening for the first time, and go and listen to our study through the book of Mark. 
I mean, we're not done yet. We just happened to be there in our Sunday studies. But Mark chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. And get yourself caught up to where we're at. Because you'll understand, wait a second, you know, if there's no root, that's what happens when people fall away from the living God. There is no root. So how is there no root? No maturing, which sounds easy. Okay, there's no root. How does there no root? No maturing. Okay, it sounds easy. But what does no maturing look like? That's what happens when a believer, wow, you know what? I believe Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus Christ. But wow, look over here. You know, there's this, the sex over here. Wow, I, I love Jesus Christ, but you know, wow, look, there's the, there's the crack over here. I love Jesus Christ, but there's the Ouija boards over here. I love Jesus Christ, but wow, look, there's the, the, the casinos over here. Or in the case of Demas, you know, I love Jesus Christ, but wow, there's this money over here. Land of opportunity. You see? Now what happens to direction? Because you see this, it's like, wow, you know what? To be saved from the Philistines? It seems to be a good thing. But then there's the question, what's next? What's next? I mean, Amos says, you know, fleeing the lion seems like a good thing. But then to meet the bear? You see, we have to account for the what's next. And when the Lord is the one who gives very specific guidance, very specific instructions, in the case of Samuel, speaking in his ear, just like that Bluetooth, just like that little earpiece with the phone conversation, except you're speaking with somebody and somebody is speaking to you that is not of this world. And it's the Lord. That's what happens with intimacy. But the formula's got to be right. See, somebody who goes grave soaking and goes to the, you know, oh, they have good worship music, good worship music, you know, Redding, California, global ministry. Oh, yeah, I went to Redding, California, I went to go worship with the mega church out there and we went grave soaking. And this person tells you, you know what? The Lord put it on my heart that you need to do this or you need to do that. Don't do that. You cannot heed that person. Why? Because the formula in that person is wrong. Or someone says, hey, you know, if somebody comes to you, I need counsel. I need counsel. If the formula is right in you, praise be to the Lord. I mean, if you're, you know, pastors listening, if, when the formula is right in you, if it's right in you, if it's not right in you, hey, you got to step down. You got to repent. And we say this not to hurt you. We say it to save your soul from burning in hell. Stakes are high and you know it. If you're a pastor, stakes are high and you know it. If you don't know it, that's another reason why you have no business at the pulpit. But if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, and you attempt to utter anything about the Word of God, <laughs> formula better be right. Because if it isn't, hello, lake of fire. You know the stakes. If you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you know the stakes. Stakes are very high. You see, and you go to seek counsel. If, a, if, a, if you're a believer and you go to seek counsel, hey, pastor, you know what? Hey, pastor, I, I, you know, I, I need guidance. I need direction. Do I do this? Do I do that? You know, hey, pastor, I got this situation in my life. You know, what do I do? Well, if you're going to a pastor where the formula is wrong 
And he says, oh, yeah, go ahead, do this. Oh, yeah, go ahead, do that. Or, you know, here, I'll give you these instructions about this, that. And you're like, okay, wow, cool, pastor. This is good. I like this. Understand who you're speaking to. You're speaking to a person who the formula is wrong. If the formula is wrong, and, you know, you have to understand formula. Because if, if the pastor is giving counsel, and he's on his third marriage, or his home is in, remember, the pastor's, the home is under scrutiny. Remember our studies through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. The home is under scrutiny. You got to look at the wife. If the wife is crazy, if, you know, there's a good teacher, the pastor's such a good teacher. Oh, but the wife's, uh, you know, on meth. But the wife is bipolar. She has her, she's, she's schizophrenic. The kids are sexually active. You know, they're doing sex like crazy. They're doing the, the crystals, the Ouija boards. Listen, if a pastor cannot keep his house in order, what do you think the house of God is going to look like? It's not going to have order. So you go to receive counsel. And the pastor says, oh, yeah, no problem. Go ahead and do that. And by the way, let's go grave soaking. Let's go lay on the grave and soak up the Holy Spirit that's in the, these dead people. The spirit of the living God is not with the dead. You see? And so a lot of Christians, what happens is they get snookered. You see? Very important to understand. There's nothing new under the sun. It happens with Israel. It happens with the church. It's happening today. Old Testament, New Testament, and still today. Stakes are high. Stakes have always been high. And so it's like, wow, you know, to be saved from the Philistines, wow, that seems like a good thing. And but what comes next? What comes next? And with Demas, you know, arrival in the land of opportunity. Demas, you know, when I was with Paul, I ate scraps and I walked everywhere. And now I get to drive in my Lamborghini. I get to eat steaks and lobster every day. Okay, there's a problem, Demas. A huge problem. No Jesus. You see? No Jesus. And this isn't a knock on Lamborghinis, you know, for my wealthy friends. This isn't a knock on Lamborghinis at all. But it's a knock on the heart. We have to keep ourselves pure before the living God, before the Lord. If you're listening, you're a person of wealth. Go and listen to our studies. Go and listen to our studies. Thewayunderground.com. Thewayunderground.com. Go and listen to our studies. And this is where a lot of Christians get into trouble because they think the wealthy cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. But listen. That's not what the Bible says. It's very difficult for the wealthy. Very, very difficult for the wealthy. If you're a Christian and you're not wealthy and you know you think that the wealthy cannot inherit the kingdom, listen, don't make it more difficult for the wealthy because it's already very difficult for the wealthy. For the wealthy to come to Jesus, it is very, very, very difficult. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle already very difficult. So if you're a believer that's not wealthy, just don't make it difficult. And if you're wealthy, it's very difficult, but it is not impossible. So if you're wealthy, walk with me. If you're poor, walk with me. And so with this particular passage here, a lot of believers get confused here in 1 Samuel chapter 9. A lot of believers get Confused because it seems like God is looking out for Israel. I mean, to, to be saved from the Philistines, it seems like a good thing. 
But we have to remember that effectuation of promise comes through obedience, you see? And we do see a specific care for the remnant. And then we also see a specific decay for the wicked and disobedient. And at the same time, opportunity is given for a person to be right with the Lord. Remember our study in Joshua chapter 7? Remember Achan? How the time period by which he could have come clean with the Lord. He could have come clean with the Lord. You know, overnight, he could, the whole time, he could have, hey, you know, I, I, I made this mistake. It was me. It was me. It was me. And sacrifice and offer. Remember, the law had already been given. The means by which a person can be clean before the Lord. And when Joshua went to pray, you know, Lord, we're losing these battles. We have no victory. We have no victory. Remember what the Lord says to him? Joshua, why are you praying? Straight up, Joshua, why are you praying? I mean, you hear that. You read that. And you think like, I thought prayer was a good thing. And prayer is a good thing. But in this particular situation, in, in Joshua 7, the Lord straight up says to Joshua, Joshua, why? Why are you even praying when you know what you have to do? You see, pastors, pastors, if you're listening, elders too. And a lot of times pastors, elders, they pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And there's nothing wrong with praying. Prayer is beautiful. But remember what Paul says to Titus. Warning one, warning two, and there is no warning three. You see? And pastors pray and pray and pray. And it's so beautiful to pray. But what's more beautiful is when the remnant stays holy. The remnant stays holy. The leaven has been addressed. And you pray for the leaven still. That they may come to Jesus Christ or return or recommit their life to Jesus Christ. But the remnant has to be clean, has to be pure. The pure, you know, the, the, the whole, the whole. I mean, it would be beautiful if 100% came to Christ and 100% were holy and 100% stayed holy. But in combat, there are casualties. You see? And it's not, you know, I'm not saying I'm not like fatalistic, like saying, okay, you know, we gotta, we gotta deal with it. We're gonna suffer some losses, and so you know, we just deal with it. No, no, no. It comes with a lot of pain. Why do you think Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet, the lonely prophet? Why do you think Paul would write and he would say, you know, with tears in my eyes? You think it was easy for James to to write the things he wrote? You think it was easy for Peter to say the things he said? It comes with a lot of pain because they know who they're speaking to. When James says, when James knows, he knows Christians are not receiving answers to their prayers. Why? The problem is not with the Lord. Brother James, he knows the problem is not the Lord. He knows the problem is the Christian. And he says, you pray and you receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss. The problem is you, Christians. The formula's wrong. And he says, you know, you know, he goes the extra step and he says, you adulterers and adulteresses. You see? The problem is the Christian. 
The formula's got to be right because when the formula is right, now we have effectuation. You see? And there's always opportunity for the formula to become right again, for people to be clean and pure with the Lord. It happened with Achan. Remember Egypt? Even in Egypt, all the Egyptians who rejected God, they all rejected the Lord. But then in the course of time, some of them, they start to, you know, acknowledge the Lord. They start to acknowledge the word. Everybody laughs at Moses and Joshua. You know, they 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 laughing or uh, Moses and Aaron, and they laugh at Moses and Aaron. You know, all you know what? The water ran. Oh look, our gods can do it too. And the frogs. Oh look, our God can do it too. And then all of a sudden, the hail comes. Whoa, our gods can't make it hail. But the God of Israel, the Hebrew God. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hail, it's no problem for him, you see? And the Egyptians have their gods, and their gods do have power, but they're not almighty. The almighty is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you see? And if you're listening and you have the, your, your brand of religion, and you might, you know, believe in the crystals and the chakras and, you know, you might be Hindu, you might be Buddhist, you might be whatever. Understand, there's power with your gods. There's absolutely power. But there's a major, major problem. Those gods are not most high. Those gods are not almighty. Those gods are weak. And those gods have no power over the most high. You see? Why worship that? Why worship what is weak? Why worship the weak? Why? That's what happened in Egypt. Yeah, their gods had power. The, the, the frogs, the water, the red, you know. But the hail? You see? Buddha can't do that. Krishnas can't do that. Crystals can't do that. Chakras can't do that. And if you're listening, you're these, in these other religions. Why worship the weak when we can worship the Almighty? And the Almighty gives very specific instructions on how that's done. And you know how it's done? In spirit and in truth. So you say, I want to worship the Almighty. You might be Buddhist. You might be Hindu. You might do the crystals, the chakras, the whatevers. And you're like, you know what? This guy is right. I'm listening to this guy. And I don't want to worship the weak. I don't want to worship the inferior. I want to bow down to the Almighty and worship Him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob teaches us how that's done. It's done in spirit and in truth, which means, you know, several things. You need truth and you need the spirit. How does that happen? Well, you got to, number one, come to the door, and then you got to enter the door. Well, what does this guy mean? How do I do that? How do I do that? I'm Buddhist. How do I do that? I'm Hindu. I do the chakras and the crystals, and how do I do that? I don't want to worship the weak. I want to worship the Almighty. How do I do that? Well, you hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. You come back, you listen, and we grow together. But at the same time, there's these studies that we have. Go to thewayunderground.com, thewayunderground.com and learn, grow, go to the area you know how to grow. 
how to mature in Christ. And there's all these studies there for you so that you can be former Buddhist, worshiping the inferior, worshiping the weak, you know, former uh, uh, Hindu, former uh, uh, Krishna, former crystals, former uh, chakras, former Ouija boards, former occult, former whatever. And you come to worship the Most High. You see? And with this learning and understanding, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit, something else happens. You're worshiping the Most High in truth, as He says. But then something else comes, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see? So your Buddhist, Krishna, uh, crystals, chakras, whatever, I love you. I love you. But if that's presently you, you're worshiping the weak. You're not worshiping the Most High. I don't, I, I don't know about you. You know, I, I can only you know make a, a call for myself, but I don't want to worship the weak. And I'm going to venture to say that you're probably the same. You don't want to worship the inferior, what is weak. You see? So worship with me. And let's walk together. You see? Same thing happened in Egypt. Where Egypt, you know, the, everybody rejected the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in the course of time, as the Lord made himself known, they start to realize like, whoa, he's almighty. But they had a big problem. They had a bad leader who kept hardening his heart. And that was Pharaoh. They submitted themselves to the wrong leader. They submitted themselves to Pharaoh. And leadership matters. And these are things that we're going to see with Saul, where things seem to be okay. Like, like right now in, in, in chapter 9, things seem to be okay. But don't forget last week's study. Because decay is going to set in while opportunity is given. You see? Opportunity is given. And it's happening in a landscape where the people have forsaken and rejected the Lord. So here we are in chapter 9, and Samuel, he's in the know. He's in the know about the who and the why. And the Lord has given him instruction and direction about what to do. So here we see in, in verse 17. Uh, so when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Now, remember last week in chapter 8, where the Lord reveals to Samuel, hey, they don't want me. They don't want me. And so, remember, the Lord is reactionary, where the Lord just straight up says, okay, they'll have what they want. You see, it's not going to be me. It's going to be Saul. And we see in verse 18, then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up, go, go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, three days ago, do not be anxious about them. For they have been found. As a little side note, the donkeys have been found, but not found by Saul. But they've been found. And so in verse 20, And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And that's what Samuel says to Saul. 
And it kills me. It breaks my heart. It kills me. Because it would have been so much better, just like with the Philistines, it would have been so much better if the priest of the Philistines says, wow, the ark of, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the ark of the Hebrew people, it's with us. And you know what? We're getting messed up. We're getting the tumors and we're dying. And you know what? Everybody, let's get rid of Dagon and let's worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Hebrews. Let's worship him. It would have been so much easier if they did that, but they didn't. And you figure, well, that's the Philistines, you know, Israel is much better. Why? Remember what the Lord says to, 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 to uh, Moses? And Moses says to the people, look, you're going to inherit this land. But it is not because you're awesome. Remember? You're going into this land, but it's, you know, you're going to inherit the land, but it's not because you're awesome. Very important to remember. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he's, it's not because you're awesome, because you are a stiff-necked people. Moses, old man Moses tells them. You're going to inherit the land, but it's not because of you. It's because of their wickedness. You see? Very important to understand. And it would have been so much better if just like the Philistines, if Israel said, you know what? We deny everything. We want the Lord as our king. It would have been so much better if the desire, if the desire of all Israel had been for the Lord. But here in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel, it isn't. And meanwhile, they're going through the motions of sacrifices. And don't forget, with Moses, sacrifice was good. But with the prophets, sacrifice was bad. What happened? What happened? I mean, you look at Deuteronomy, you look at, you look at Leviticus. And you look at Isaiah and you say, wow, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, sacrifice good, sacrifice good, sacrifice good. Okay, sacrifice good. I'll concede. And then you get to Isaiah. Sacrifice good, sacrifice good, sacrifice good. I will not concede. Sacrifice bad. You see? What happened? What happened? Straight up, what happened? Did the Lord change his mind? Not at all. What happened is the people changed their heart. And don't forget, Jesus, he says, I didn't come to do away with the law. Because remember, it's Jesus who fulfills the law and the prophets. And in verse 21, and Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Because remember, Samuel just told him, Samuel, the prophet just told him on, on whom is all the desire of Israel is it not on you and all your father's house. And Saul's just like straight up like, why, why do you speak to me like this? This isn't a position that Saul applies for. He didn't submit an application to be king of Israel. He's not auditioning. So he just straight up asks, why do you speak like this? And in verse 22, now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook in verse 24 
So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is. What was kept back? It was set apart for you. Eat. For until this time, it has been kept for you. Since I said, I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Now, it's very interesting what we see here. By most measures, things seem fine. Things seem even more than fine. I mean, there's a meal. We see sacrifice. We see about 30 people who were invited and sitting in places of honor. Samuel's there. Saul is there. Everything seems fine. But when you have eyes to see, you understand there is also a bitterness. There is also a pain. Because remember last week where the Lord told Samuel what would happen to a people that have forsaken him? And the Lord told Samuel about the king Israel would desire and what this king would do. You see? And then the Lord told him, remember speaking to the ear, hey, here's the guy. This is the man, the very one he's eating with you. You see? Now, this isn't a setup job. You know, this isn't a setup job where, you know, the, the Lord and Samuel set up Saul, you know, or the Lord and Samuel are setting up Israel for failure. This, that's not what this is at all. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord is reactionary. Very important. You know, in our studies in Torah, in the Old Testament, in, in the, the Pentateuch, five books of Moses, it's something that we said quite a bit and how the Lord is reactionary. The Lord is reactionary. And remember, Old Testament, New Testament, and still today, the Lord responds to obedience, wickedness, and repentance. You say, well, why didn't you say disobedience? That's wickedness. The Lord responds to obedience, wickedness, and repentance. You see, the Lord responds. It's like gardening. It's like gardening where, you know, you have soil, you have seeds, you plant the seeds, and you do everything you possibly can to give those seeds the best chance for growth. But there are things that are out of your hands where you see sprouting, but it's not equal sprouting. Some haven't even sprouted. And then the ones that do sprout, it's not even equal growth. Some sprout and then some wither. There are things that are outside of our hands. And this is what our Lord speaks of, you know, in our, it just so happens we studied this in our Sunday study in, through the book of Mark, where he teaches about the seeds and what happens in the pneumos. Remember, go and listen to those studies. What happens in the pneumos? Very important to understand. Now, one could argue <clears throat> nothing is out of God's hands. One could make the argument Nothing is out of God's hands. And this is true. But what is also true is that God doesn't make robots. You see, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, I love you. I love you. But the Calvinist Jesus, if the Calvinist Jesus were true, why would he even teach us about the seeds? You see, why would he teach us about the seeds? If the Calvinist Jesus were true, why would he teach about the seeds or why wouldn't he see, why wouldn't he say these seeds I make die and these seeds I make live? Why wouldn't he say that if the Calvinist Jesus were true? Or why wouldn't the Calvinist Jesus say 
These seeds I burn and these seeds I grow. Why? Why would Jesus even speak of the seeds as he does, like he did in our study in the book of Mark? Why? And the Calvinists and Reformed would argue, oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. It's impossible to know his ways. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that it's the sovereign God who does nothing without first revealing it to his servants. You see? And we don't speak like this. We don't say these words to win an argument. It's about you and me together yielding to the living God. Yielding to the living God. Very important. And if you're listening, you're Calvinist, you're Reformed, go to thewayunderground.com. Thewayunderground.com. And go and listen to the studies on Reformed theology. Very important because what's happening is pastors, Calvinist pastors and Reformed pastors, what they're starting to say is, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You're fine. You take the, You want to get to heaven? Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. That's what they're saying. You see, we're in the last days. It's a trap. It's a trap from hell. And so here in chapter 9, it almost seems like a setup job. It almost seems that way. Why would God allow these things to happen when he knows the end result? Why, why is Saul, I mean, if, if we read chapter 8, we read chapter 8 and it's like, whoa, you know, Israel rejects the Lord and the Lord is going to give them their king. And Okay. And then in chapter 9, and we're going to see in chapter 10, it's like, wow, there's, why, why, why is this king going to save them from the Philistines when we know that they've forgotten the Lord and judgment is, you know, the, 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 the Lord is going to respond in judgment and why, why even bother and go through these things? Next week, Lord willing, we're going to see like anointing. Why even bother going through these things? If we know that the end result, I mean, saving from the Philistines, if we know the end result, why, why would we, God even allow these things to happen? And I'll give you the answer. Opportunity for a person to choose. That's why. Opportunity for the person to choose. Now, remember with the Lord, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. And it is also written of our Lord where he says, I am the beginning and the end, you see? And in the span of time, the Lord allows a person to choose. But in the case of Samuel, the Lord revealed to Samuel, A, this is the king that Israel desires, and it's not going to be pretty. Remember chapter 8 where, you know, the Lord says, Israel has forsaken me. Now, Samuel didn't know that Israel had forsaken the Lord. You see, Samuel didn't know. I mean, he's... He was in Ramah, Ramah at home, old man, old man Samuel at home. He sees the elders coming down like, oh, look, here's the elders. And then the elders open their mouths and they start to speak, hey, we want a king. And then it's the Lord that reveals to Samuel, hey, the people, not just the elders. The elders were yes men. It's the Lord that reveals to Samuel, hey, they've rejected me. They've turned their back on me. They have forsaken me. 
And yes, Samuel, you're hurt, but they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And our intimacy, Samuel, is so strong, is so deep, is so close, is so cheek to cheek. Remember our earlier studies in the epistles, the cheek to cheek? Our intimacy is so close that you feel it and you hurt and you grieve, but they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. You see? And Samuel in chapter 8, he didn't know Israel had rejected him. He didn't know Israel rejected the Lord. He didn't know until they started to speak. And Samuel was hurt. He could feel it. And the Lord gave him that assurance. No, it's not you. It's me. And then the Lord tells Samuel, give them what they want. You see? Now you think, okay, give them what they want. Okay, now you know, like, you know, just hellfire damnation right here, right now. No, because opportunity is given. Opportunity is given. Just like with Aiken, opportunity given. Yeah, it was overnight, but still opportunity was given. You see? The same with Egypt. Yeah, judgment is coming, but opportunity given. And in the case of Egypt, they acknowledged the Lord, but they had the bad leader who hardened his heart. You say, oh, no, the Bible says God hardened his heart. Yeah, the Bible does say God hardened his heart. But don't forget, Pharaoh hardened his heart multiple times over and over and over and over. And then God steps in and says, okay. You want to go from balsa wood to maple? You want to go from maple to oak? You want to go from oak to pine? Okay, boom. You did, you did that. You went from balsa to maple to oak to pine. And since you did that, I'm going to do the next step, which is from pine to stone. God hardened his heart. The same thing happens today. It happens when the Lord gives a person over. And that's where you see Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is the wrath of God on individuals. You see, I mean, you look at Revelation and prophecies about Revelation. And yes, there's the wrath of the Lord, not for the entirety of the 70th week of Daniel, not for the entirety of the seven years. And if you're listening, you're a pre-tribulation person, go and listen to our studies. Go to thewayunderground.com and go to the prophecy section and go and listen to the studies about prophecy. Because, you know, people say, oh, seven-year tribulation, seven-year tribulation. But that's not what the Bible says. Yes, there's a seven-year period of time, the 70th week of Daniel. But then the word of God also specifically indicates certain intervals according to the word of God. Very specific intervals, things that happen. It's very important to understand. People say, oh, it's not a, it's not a salvation issue. It isn't a salvation issue. That's what everybody says. It's not a salvation issue. But let me tell you something. It absolutely is a salvation issue. You know why? Because falling away is prophesied. Falling away is prophesied. And you already have pastors today saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. On top of that, you have Christians who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And they say, whatever form, you know, the, the mark of the beast is, we can take it. We can take it. We can take it because we know it's not the official mark of the beast because we're still here. We haven't been raptured yet. And people say, oh, it's not a salvation issue. It's not a salvation issue. Surprise, it is. And we don't say these things to be mean or sound cruel. But listen, if your pastor teaches pre-tribulation, the rapture, pre-tribulation rapture, the formula in him is wrong. 
You say, oh, but my pastor's female. Okay, that's easy. Formula wrong. You and me, I don't care if you're Calvinist, if you're Catholic, if you're Mormon, if you're non-believer, if you're Buddhist, if you're Hindu, if you're crystals, if you're chakras, if you're Krishna, if you're whatever, if you're pre-tribulation, if you're, you know, uh, reformed, you know, if you're non-believer, even if you're Satanist. We have to align with the word of God, very specific blueprints. And I've had these conversations conversations with Satanists before. And the conversation, it always starts out pretty heated. Not on my part, on their part. I mean, I, I don't get into, you know, like meaningless arguments. I don't, I don't engage in those things. But at the same time, when I talk with these Satanists, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, a lot of, a lot of curse words, you know, a lot of curse words are thrown, not from, you know, my side, but from their side, a lot of curse words are, but it, 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 you know, it hurts me, but it hurts me for them because they don't know what they speak of. They don't know what they're saying. And sometimes when these people speak, it's like they, they, they have an idea of what Jesus is. But the idea is an idol because the Jesus that they hate is the same Jesus that I hate because it's an idol. You see? They see the TV. They see Tricking Believers Nightly, TBN. And they see, I don't want nothing to do with that Jesus. It's like, you know, hey, I agree. And so sometimes when I have these conversations with the Satanists, they're like, you know, what, what are you talking about? I'm a Satanist. And you agree with me? Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, you know, grave soaking? No, that's garbage. And the Satanists like, what? I think it's garbage too. Why do you think it's garbage? And then boom, then we start to speak. And the Satanists, well, you know what? I've, I've never heard it like that before. And Satanists who come to Christ, Satanists who listen specifically. And if you're listening, you're Satan, you know who I'm talking about. The Homosexual Satanists? I, I never heard that before. I want you to know I pray for you. I pray for you. I pray hard for you. Because I love you. God is not willing that any should perish, but that everybody should come to Christ. And if you're Jewish, you know, that's why we say, you know, if you're Jewish and you're listening, because sometimes, you know, on certain platforms that we're on, there's certain engagements that we have. Even with the rabbis. It's like, hey, go here, listen. And the rabbis come back, well, what did you mean about this? What did you mean about that? And we engage in these conversations about, okay, this is what the Bible says. And so sometimes the rabbis listen and we say, hey, if you're Jewish, you know, listen to this. If you're, if you're rabbi, you know, hey, you know, this is for you. Go and, you know, look at these passages. And if you're Jewish, you're listening and you want to know more, go to the wayunderground.com and go to the Jewish section. Very beautiful. You have every reason to be cautious with Christians. If you're Jewish, you have every reason to be cautious with Christians. Every reason to be cautious with Christians. Why? Because there's replacement theology, which is a lie from Satan. Replacement theology where these Christians, they call themselves Christians, but they believe in the wrong doctrine. They believe in the wrong theology that has taught them, has taught them that God is done with Israel. And that the promises of God are now for the church, but that's a lie from the pit of hell. Yes, there are promises for Israel. Yes, there are promises for the for Christians and for saints. But at the same time, the, the, the branch doesn't support the root. The root supports the tree. The root supports the branch. 
you see? And if you're Jewish, I love you. I love you. But we worship Messiah. We worship Messiah, son of David, son of man, son of God. You see? And so, as the Lord allows people to make a choice, remember, time is irrelevant to the Lord. A day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. Time is irrelevant to the Lord in, 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 in speaking in the manner of time. But there is relevance to time with the Lord. Why? So that we can choose Him. So that we can obey Him. So that we can be clean and pure before Him. And so the Lord reveals to Samuel, this is the king. This is the king that Israel desires. This is him. This is the man. It's Saul. And it's not going to be pretty. You see? And what's so beautiful with Samuel is that knowing these things, Samuel remains obedient. You see? Samuel remains obedient while knowing the circumstances of eventuality. Samuel remains obedient to the Lord. Remember the Lord told them, give them what they want. The people who have rejected me, forsaken me, okay, give them what they want. And something very sobering that the remnant must understand, very sobering, is that the falling away is going to intensify. It's already happened, but it's going to intensify in the last days. It's going to intensify stronger and stronger. And so say, for example, you and me are sitting in a church. <clears throat> Let's say, for example, you and me, we're in church. And the formula is right all around. The formula in you and me, the formula in the fellowship, and always accounting for babies, the formula in the overseers and the pastors and the elders. We finally found a church where we can fellowship in person, face-to-face, -face, where a church where you and me can safely submit ourselves to the pastor, a person who watches out for our souls. And let's say, for example, the church has 83 people do not expect our numbers to remain at 83. Expect it to dwindle. Expect our numbers to reduce to 68, then 54, then 42, then 37, then 31, then 23. The whole time, the formula remains right. In the fellowship, the formula remains right the entire time. That doesn't change. We have good overseers like in Philippi. Good overseers. The formula is right in the pastors and elders, the overseers. But also something else is happening where the cares and the riches and the concerns of life, as our Lord teaches us, they take hold of people. And our original 83 becomes 23. And our numbers continue to dwindle. Now, in this example, in this example, <clears throat> when our numbers were 83, we don't know who will fall away. We do not know who will fall away. What we do know is how a person falls away. You see? When our numbers were 83, we didn't know. We didn't know who will fall away. But when our numbers reach 23, when they've reduced to 23, then we'll know who has falling, fallen away. 
then we'll know. But during, during, because we know about formula, knowing how a person falls away, how knowing how a person rejoices and worships the Lord in spirit and in truth, knowing formula of obedience and disobedience, what to do and what not to do. Every single person during the, the, the time frame of 83 to 23, and the numbers are dwindling, but during, during that time frame, every single person, including us, including you and me, we have a choice to make, to obey or disobey. Now, when our numbers were 83, we know that there was a threat of falling away. When our numbers are 83 and we know that our numbers are going to dwindle to, say, 22. We know that a falling away will happen. But what we don't know is who will fall away. Now, since time, in, 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 in the aspect of time itself, since that's irrelevant to the Lord, where a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, He knows when our numbers are 83, He knows who it is that's going to fall away. But there's still choice to be made. You see, there is still choice to be made because within the allotment of time, the Lord permits a person to make the choice. Very important. Just like he did with Egypt, just like he did with Achan, just like he did with Assyria. You see? Very important to understand. Just as he, just as our Lord does with with uh, the, the the religious leaders, the religious establishment. Remember how Jesus came speaking in the synagogues. He was an open book. He was an open book. He spoke openly. He spoke plainly. But then he starts to speak in parables. You see, and even in speaking in parables, there are certain things that he does, certain things that he says that would cause gears to turn again, gears of faith, if the person is willing, you see? And in the case of Samuel, the Lord told him the who. Just like the example where you and me were in church, we got 83 people. We don't know who. The Lord knows who because in the span of time, you know, that say our church is 83 people, but then in a year, we're 23 people. Well, during the year, we don't know who's going to fall away. We don't know what conditions are going to cause a person to fall away. We don't know. But the Lord knows because time in, 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 in that aspect, time is irrelevant to the Lord. Where a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. The Lord knows. But he still operates within the confines of that year, giving each person an opportunity to obey or disobey. You see? And with Samuel, it's the Lord told, that told him, hey, this is who the Lord told him the who, where, you know, Israel has forsaken me and they want a king. Okay, I'm going to give them, give them the king that they desire. And this is the king who will cause them to cry out and I will not hear them. Remember our study from last week? And then the Lord says to Samuel, give them what they want. If that's what they, they don't want me as king. Okay, give them what they want. So it begs the question, does this mean that Samuel is complicit in the fall of Israel? Not at all. Not at all. Because Samuel is operating within the confines of effectuation. And Samuel, he's on the side of the Lord. It's very important to understand. You know, 
And just so you know, you might be, you know, sometimes people ask me on, the, on these platforms, you know, sometimes people ask, you know, well, why, why do you explain it like this? Why do you, you know, okay, I get it. Why do you go like this? Why do you explain it like this? And, you know, or, you know, I don't understand, you know, why do you, why do you say it like this and that and this and that? And sometimes people ask me. But, and sometimes the, 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 the manner in which we speak, sometimes it seems redundant and exhaustive. And sometimes it's redundant for a reason. But sometimes it's exhaustive because understand when we speak, it's, it's addressing multiple doctrines, multiple faiths, multiple religions, and to include non-believers, even Satanists. You know, non-believers listen, believers listen, but then, you know, when it comes to the believers, you know, the believers have the most baggage. I mean, you know, sometimes it's like Christians, like, well, you know, you, 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 you reach out to Satanists. The non-believer, even the Satanists, a lot of times it's much easier than the Christian because the Christian, you know, there's stubbornness. There's a hard heartedness. Because it's the Christian where, you know, some believers, I shouldn't say some, a lot of believers are trapped in certain theologies and doctrines that do not align with scripture, you see, such as the Calvinists, the Reformed, Catholics, you see, Charismatics, where Charismatic becomes Charismania, straight up crazy, you know, calling glitter the Holy Spirit, you know, holy laughter. Listen, there's no alignment with scripture, you know, grave soakers. This is unbiblical, you see. Catholics even say, "Why do you say Catholics?" Say, you know, number one, Catholicism is not Christianity, but we say Catholic because Catholics have Bibles, you see. And so, if you're Catholic, I love you. I love you. I love your Catholic, Reformed, you know, uh, non-believer, Satanist. If you're Calvinist, if you're uh, 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 Lutheran, Episcopal, if you're Crystals, Krishnas, you know, the the Buddha, you know, I love you. And so we speak in this manner because certain doctrines have seared the conscience of people. And so we, we speak in a manner and teach in a manner that casts a really big net, a really big net. I mean, when you have a message that goes to non-believer and believer or, you know, Satanists and Calvinists and, you know, Satanists, Luciferians and, you know, uh, uh, Lutherans, you know, we cast a really big net. But within that net, we also do some fine tuning within that net. And so sometimes it's like, why, why, why is he speaking like, you know, why is he, why is he, why is he going overboard about, you know, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, you know, hey, let's, let's stick to our topic here in First Samuel chapter nine. But there's a reason why we speak in the manner in which we speak. We cast a big net to also include Jew, Jew and Gentile, you see. And for Jew and Gentile, there's, there, you know, according to Judaism, there's different traditions of Judaism, Orthodox, Reform, different parts of Judaism. So sometimes, you know, scripture, you know, it addresses each and every one. And so that's why we say, you know, if this is you, 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 because passages of scripture, it could be you. And so for my Jewish friends, especially the rabbis, when we consider what seems to be complicity of Samuel, because remember, Israel has forsaken the Lord. Remember chapter eight, 
And especially for the rabbis, we look at this like it seems like Samuel is complicit, but Samuel is not breaking the law. And this is when Israel has forsaken the Lord while also being in the law. And for my rabbi friends, we see something else here. Loopholes in the law and inability of the law. Because it's the lesser glory, the lesser Shekinah. And so, rabbis, go and listen to the studies that we have through Leviticus and Hebrews, Old and New Testaments. And remember, Abraham as Abram slept. Very important for my rabbi friends. I love you. You have every reason to be cautious and careful with Christians. But I love you. And so here we are with Samuel and Saul. They, they finished their meal. They're done with their meal. We see here in verse 25, when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. They arose early and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house saying, get up that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. It's very sobering, very, very sobering. The things that are going to happen down the road, very sobering. But understand what has happened, especially chapter eight. Understand what has happened. And understand that there are paths of blessing and of curse. One is wide, one is narrow. One has the masses and one has the remnant. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.